Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast, and it is presented by BetOnline.ag. You just use that promo code PODCAST1. You get 50% sign-up bonus from your online sportsbook experts over at betonline.ag. He is Evan Silva, and we are year-round because football analysis never stops. Fantasy football conversation never stops. I actually, Evan, really love the off-season shows because I learn a lot. And Today, we're going to do a little season in review, so to speak where you're going to get some of our thoughts about the season in general, in particular the Super Bowl, though. I mean, we're going to focus on the Super Bowl, lessons from that moving forward. Then we'll go on a pretty good run here of guests pretty much every week to get their insight about lessons they learned from 2018, thoughts they have on strategy, early player predictions for 2019. I thought, Evan... The mock draft you had with Field was amazing. You can check out Evan on social media. He's at Evan Silva. I'm at Ross Tucker. NFL on Twitter, the former NFL offensive lineman, journeyman that kind of really loves the fantasy stuff and the gambling stuff more and more every year. I can see why you guys love it as well. So without further ado, though, Evan, I want to dive into the Super Bowl because you had a lot of thoughts before the game. And I want to kind of figure out where we're going here with these teams moving forward based on what we saw in Sunday's game. Evan, let's start with Julian Edelman because I continue to be amazed by that guy. I, I mean, you, if, if you are the Rams, you know that he's like their main dude, especially on third down. And what was crazy to me about it, Evan, is – he doesn't just get open. Like, a bunch of those plays, he was open by a lot. You know what I mean? Like, And I don't know what your takeaways are. I guess I'm a little bit surprised he doesn't typically have better production during the regular season. You, know, you look at his numbers, 2,000-yard seasons ever. It's kind of hard to believe, given what he does in the playoffs. My takeaways are, are those two things. Like, what do we do with Edelman as a regular season fantasy guy? Um, and then number two, I'm all in on short shuttle, bro. I- I'm all in on short shuttle for almost every position. And and part of this is my bias because I didn't have a great bench press, didn't have a great 40 time, uh, although my 10 time, my 10 time was average to slightly above. My 20 time was average to slightly below, and my 40 time was way below average, but who gives a crap? I was a lineman. You know what I mean? Like, and most positions, the NFL is not really about long speed. The NFL is about initial quickness, and the NFL is about change of direction. And so I was above average 
pretty well above average for an offensive lineman for the short shuttle, which is how quickly you can really do quick area bursts. You watch a lineman, it's all quick area bursts. It's the whole position. And you watch a, a, a receiver, specifically a slot receiver, it's all short area burst. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say short shuttle and three cone time. Um, and th- those are both uh, the, the metrics that Julian Edelman, of course, crushed when he was a Kent State quarterback coming out for the NFL draft. You know, took a few years to really get going. Uh, you know, kind of sat behind Wes Welker, played some defense at back early in his career. Um, you know, played on special teams, was kind of a, a gadget guy, but like went both ways early in his career. He covered Anquan Bolden uh, in a playoff game once playing like slot corner. Uh, but obviously he has, tra- you know, he has developed into one of the NFL's premier slot receivers, was an amazing value this year in drafts. You had to take that, you know, take it take it on the chin there for the first four weeks. He had to be occupying a spot on your bench uh, because he was suspended. But when he came back, I mean, he, he yeah, he didn't put up necessarily monster numbers, but – he was a model of consistency. Um, you know, he like every single game he was giving you, especially in PPR leagues, he was giving you either a lot of catches um, or a touchdown. Uh, so he was consistent. I think that it's possible that you know his performance late in the season, certainly in the Super Bowl, he might end up going a little bit higher. You know, that that could contribute to raising his ADP. But he's, he's always been a guy that we can we can look to for consistency week to week. And you can't say that about a lot of players at the receiver position in fantasy. They, they tend to be volatile. Even guys like Julio Jones and, you know, Mike Evans, they have kind of wild ups and downs week to week. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for a guy that has that gives you actual consistency at the receiver position, it's really only a handful of guys. Antonio Brown has been that guy, although he wasn't as much this year. Julian Edelman has been. He just doesn't give you those as, as many of the weak-winning weeks. But I thought he was, you know, obviously fantastic in the Super Bowl. The Rams really didn't do anything special to, to deal with him. And I thought the same was the case with them uh, in, the, uh, in the NFC Championship game against Michael Thomas. But – you know, they were able to slow down Michael Thomas. Julian Edelman, Edelman is, is obviously a different style of player. And, you know, they're, the, the way that they approached him did not go nearly as well. When, whenever, they need, whenever the Patriots needed Julian Edelman, they could hit him in the Super Bowl. I went back and just looked at all of his targets. And it, it was, you know, what's one thing that stood out to me was that um, – you know, he was not matched up with one guy uh, by by any means. I mean, he had uh, three of his catches came against linebackers, two of them uh, against Corey Littleton, one of them against uh, Samson Ebucam, like the, the outside edge rusher. Um, it, it looked like they opened the game, the Rams opened the game, wanting to deal with, put Aqib Tlaib on him. Um, that didn't go so well. He, three of his catches went came against Aqib Tlaib. Two against Marcus Peters, one against LaMarcus Joyner, and only one against the Rams slot corner, Nikel Roby Coleman. So the Patriots obviously did a great job of 
of you know making sure that he wasn't against one guy the entire game, getting him matched up against linebackers and the outside cornerbacks, you know, bigger cornerbacks that don't have that that short shuttle three cone time sort of quickness that Julian Edelman obviously does, and it, it was a it, an unbelievable performance going forward. We'll start to talk about you know. Um, what, like, how are we going to project him in terms of just sheer targets for 2019? Is Gronk coming back? Philip Dorsett and Chris Hogan, both free agents. So, kind of a, a lot of moving parts uh, in the Patriots' pass catcher core. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I right now, I mean, I definitely have him locked in as a, a top 20 um, and probably a top 15 player in PPR uh, at, at the wide receiver position for next season. You know, another takeaway just from that, uh, and I know we're getting to it, but while we're talking wide receivers, mm-hmm. I-, I was really disappointed this season with Chris Hogan. I don't know what happened to him, but the Rams, I mean, you've seen recent games. The Rams were like, let's try to have Chris Hogan beat him. He he never gets open. He, he can't mm-hmm. get separation. I don't know what happened to him, Evan, because when he first got there, I thought he did some really positive things. I think he's probably more of a slot guy, but that role just isn't really open for him in New England. But he cannot get separation. Now, he did make a nice one-handed catch against the Chiefs, but I I don't really think New England brings it back. If they do, it's really cheap and mainly just because he knows the offense. But teams were, like, daring the Patriots to throw the ball to him. And Brady would sometimes, but like he was stuck to guys like glue. I mean, I I, I don't know what's going to happen with him or or Philip Dorsett for that matter. Yeah, I think that Chris Hogan had an extremely disappointing season. Um, you know, I think uh, certainly in the Super Bowl. I mean, just just to talk about it, so he was targeted six times in the game. He had zero catches. Um, he was the intended target on Tom Brady's interception. Uh, where he where he got picked off by Corey Little, um, I, I thought that there there were kind of signs of it early in the season with Chris Hogan and like every fantasy analyst really liked him because you know players kind of kept dropping like flies and, um, like Jordan Matthews was never a factor Kev, Kenny Britt you know was ne- never a factor I mean the Patriots had you know they lost so much like just opportunity uh, or production from their pass catcher core that hey they went out and traded for josh gordon and you know one of the reasons that they went out and traded for josh gordon was because no other guys were stepping up and chris hogan like i thought that there were just signs of frustration from tom brady uh regarding chris hogan early in the season and you're right he never got open you you just look at like his pro football focus grades he's always been a pretty uh, a player who got good grades terrible grades i mean was was one of the worst receivers by just any you know by eyeball test by you know pro football focus grades by you know um just his his production over the course of the season so yeah i mean i think that i think that the the shine has definitely worn off chris hogan in new england he's a free agent philip dorsett is as well so is cordero patterson now i think that they might bring back cordero patterson i think that they liked him in sort of like a niche role. You know, he could be, um, you know, they, they get a couple of injuries at running back. He could play running back for them. 
Um, I think that they probably liked what they got out of Cordero Patterson. But, yeah, I mean, I Philip Dorsett was a, like pretty much a no-show in the Super Bowl. Um, they played a lot of 12 personnel. They played a lot of 21 personnel. And they just weren't in a lot of three receiver sets in the Super Bowl. And, of course, he's the number three behind Hogan and Edelman. But yeah, I mean they they are gonna they like they have a ton of free agents, man. I mean Trent Brown is a free agent, you know Jason McCourty, these receivers that we just discussed. They have a lot of free agents, and it, they're they're gonna kind of remake their roster um, this off season. So speaking of their roster, uh, let's get to the running backs. You know, it, it's kind of a joke at this point. We always talk about it in fantasy football and the running back usage, how they use guys. Like, did James White even play in that game? <laughs> I, I don't remember James White doing it in the game. I'm like, it's crazy. And two years ago against the Falcons, he could have been the MVP of the game. I mean, it's just like I, I really don't have a great explanation. Clearly they think Sony Michelle is the best pure runner. James White, you know, it was interesting because talking with Rams players and coaches for both teams and Patriots players, they all, like, they all, when you mention James White, their eyes would light up or they they would just voluntarily mention James White. People really believe that he's one of the two or three best receiving running backs in the league. They're like, dude, James White. I think it was the linebacker coach maybe for the Rams, Joe Barry. He's like, well, James White's just on a different level. Like He is really – like he could be a slot receiver almost, and yet it didn't seem like they used him all that much in the Super Bowl. I don't know what that really means for them next year. They clearly, it seemed like, Evan leaned more on guys like – Rex Burkhead and Michelle in the playoffs as opposed to White, certainly in the in the AFC championship game and in the second half of that and in the Super Bowl, I don't I don't really know what their rhyme or reason is. I don't think anybody really does. Yeah, I, I'm my my best guess, and I don't think that it necessarily means anything for uh, two thousand nineteen, but my best guess is that look, the Patriots are the best team in the NFL at identifying their opponents' weaknesses and identifying their strengths and, you know, working around that. And the Rams were excellent in coverage against running backs all season long. Um, Corey Littleton, you know, a guy who has 34-inch arms, he was like PFS number three uh, pass coverage linebacker in the NFL out of 89 qualifiers. And he wasn't particularly good against tight ends. Um, But he was really good in running back coverage you know, their other inside linebackers, Mark Barron, he played safety at Alabama. During the regular season, the Rams held opposing running backs to the third fewest um, uh, receiving yards per game. Um, and I think that the, the my best guess is that the Patriots kind of game-planned around that. They opened the game. I mean, Burkhead played a ton early in the game. So um, he, he may have even started. I, I guess I, I didn't look at who – like who the the technical start starters were, but I mean he was out there peeling off runs early in the game. Sony Michelle, obviously, you know he had a 
he wound up with a, a consistent role. And um, as you said, he's clearly their best, like just pure runner. Um, and then and it does not bother them that him being out there, like he faces more, more uh, eight man fronts because I think that they think that they can beat the defense with just numbers by having, you know, by having Devlin out there and by playing the, the 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. Um, so I think that it was just a game plan issue. They identified the Rams as a team that is really good at defending running backs, and they went with their other backs. They went with their their best pure runner in Sony Michelle, and they went with their guy who doesn't necessarily telegraph to the defense what is going to come in, in, in Rex Burkhead because on 50% of Rex Burkhead's plays, they run, and on 50% of his plays, they pass. With Michelle, it's like 80% run, and then with James White, it was like 90% pass. So I think that that's what they did. They, they just went with, you know, th- this was specific to this game's game plan. Yep, and crazy. Um, now, we can talk Gronk all we want, but I got to tell you, I- I'd be surprised, Evan, if he ended up playing again. I mean, I-, I wrote in my column at The Athletic this week, I wrote like an open letter to him. You know, I know what it's like, Evan, for me, having had one back surgery. And I wrote this in the story, but and you've been with me like at restaurants or whatever. Like I can't sit at a high top table because my back gets aggravated mm-hmm. if my feet aren't on the ground. If it's if I can't lean back in the chair, same thing. I had one back surgery. This poor guy has had three and now Ian Rappaport said, which I already could have told you during the season, that he was dealing with a bulging disc during the year. Do you remember when they played the Bills and I was on the sideline and I tweeted this during the game? He came off after a series, and just the way he walked off, I know what that's like. Because every, like I'd say two to three times a year, my back really flares up on me. And I'm like stiff and I have to go to the chiropractor and it takes a couple weeks for it to get back. He walked off the Bill's sideline. I was like, oh, man, he's hurt. And I think he missed the next game after that or something, maybe the next two, because it was just bothering him that much. And the Patriots have the best chiropractor of any team I played for. But they still, I mean, he had three surgeries and now he's got another bulging disc. The the guy's going to have to get his back fused probably. At some mm-hmm. point, he's made a bazillion dollars. He can make a lot of money off the field. And, you know, you, the problem is when you're like 25 or even 27, 28, 29, I think almost even before you actually have kids, and he's not even like married or anything yet. I don't know if he wants that or whatever. You don't really look at it like, okay, um, how am I going to feel when I'm 35 or 45 or 55? You're just like, oh, this sucks. Can you fix this? I got to get back on the field. Okay, I broke my leg. I'm out five weeks. Like, he's going to really have issues for the rest of his life. And I know I feel like it was totally worth it for me at this point, you know, based on what I know at 39 years old. Maybe talk to me again when I'm 49, see how I'm feeling then. But I'm just very nervous for him. And he had a lot of quotes last week which seemed to indicate that he kind of, he's starting to get it. 
you know, he's got three other brothers that played and didn't play nearly as long or as much as him. And they're probably like, yo, Rob, you know this, you know this stuff's not going to go away, right? Like, you know that. And I, I'm sure, I think he's starting to realize that. And I got to tell you, if he had a wife or kids, I think he probably would have quit a couple years ago. But, you know, he just doesn't have that perspective of wanting to be able to, you know, be active with them. I would be – the only way he comes back next year is if Brady, like, guilts him into it. And Brady's like, come on, dude, let's just do it one more time. Or the Patriots give him a lot of money. I don't think they're going to do that. I think Belichick would look at that at this point as probably diminishing returns. Yeah, um, there was a, a good story uh, that came out um, about Mark Bovaro, uh, you know, who, of course, played for Bill Belichick. And he was talking about how late in his career he dealt with uh, some injuries. I don't know if it was uh, back, but uh, he definitely, you know, w- was no longer at, at optimal health. And uh, Belichick kind of gave him a plan where they would really scale back his practice reps. Um, and, you know, just approaching it from um, the standpoint of if he does come back, because, look, I'm with you. I want him to do what's best for for his future. And, and you know, I can totally see how you can sympathize with, with his situation. But there still is a possibility that he does come back. Um, and I just wanted to point out that uh, they really scaled back his route running uh, down the stretch of the season. Uh, and he really turned into more of a blocker. He wasn't playing as many snaps. He was still playing a ton of snaps. But they scaled back his snaps a little bit. But they used him more as a blocker. And then in the playoffs, boom, they went right back to him as a pass catcher. Uh, he ran more than 35 pass routes in only three regular season games all year. Over 35 pass routes in only three regular season games. His pass route run totals in the playoffs were 39, 41, and 37. So if he does come back, you know, I I think that we're going to have to really lower expectations, not just because of the injury, but because if they do manage to keep him healthy by by, say, you know, limiting his practice reps and by using him as more of a blocker and scaling back his snaps, I think it would make the most sense for them to do kind of continue what they did, which is, you know, use him a lot less as a pass catcher because, man, the dude falls hard. I mean, no one in the NFL, I've never seen anyone fall as hard as Rob Gronkowski. And it was still happening in the Super Bowl. I mean, some of the times that he falls, it's just like, whoo, is he even going to be able to get up? Um, and that's going to continue to happen, especially as he kind of, continues to lose speed and he's got to become, you know, more and more of a contested catch guy and go up and try to jump. I don't even know if he can jump, honestly. I I don't even think he really has the ability to jump anymore. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm with you. I kind of, I I think, I think we've seen enough. I think he's the best tight end of all time. You know, he won a ton of Super Bowls. He made a a lot, a lot of money, you know, um, he, he got the fame and I mean, if this is what's best for his future from a health standpoint, I'm, I'm totally with you that uh, I, I kind of hope that that this is the that we've se- we've seen it. He kind of rides off into the sunset. Yeah, I, I really I really personally hope he does. He's actually getting to the point where like when he took that shot from Corey Littleton, who, by the way, is a total badass 58 for the Rams. Yeah, that dude's awesome. Like that guy. 
I mean, he might be one of the biggest hitters in the league now. I mean, I think he knocked out like four Saints in the NFC Championship game. I, I talked to him. He's only like 225, like 230, but he is not messing around. He hit Gronk so hard in his knee that I didn't – I mean, that was – I guess it was a thigh bruise maybe above the knee, but holy crap, man. Really, really impressive. Um, let's get into some, some of the Ram stuff now as well. Todd Gurley. And we talked about this a little bit with Field Yates when we did the first-round mock draft a couple weeks ago, which I thought was excellent. And if people missed that somehow, I highly encourage you to go back and check that out. But let's talk about the Todd Gurley situation for next year because they're pretty clearly going to have to have another running back. I don't know, and we got to talk to Dr. Chow, I don't know what was causing the swelling in his knee, but it obviously was a factor. And then the success that C.J. Anderson showed, I mean, i got to think they're going to bring C.J. Anderson back. They kind of have to at this point. And so I, I think there's, there's real risk in taking him – uh, you know, with a top two, three, four pick, I just there's some injury risk, and there's some sort of ride the hot hand risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked to as many people as I can. We only got to see him on eleven touches, you, you know, so it's limited. I guess twelve if you include the the run where I think it was a thirteen yard gain and it got called back uh, t- by, by Ty Gurley. I thought he looked good. You know, I, I thought that he looked good. Next gen stats had him as the the fastest skill position player on the field at like twenty miles per hour or whatever. Um, you know, Brian Baldinger pointed out um, one play where he made a like probably the best cut that that we've seen him make of the playoffs. Um, for I, I think it was um, I think it was on his sixteen yard gain. Uh, they did not use him in the receiving game at all, so we really didn't get to see him truly in space. When he would get in space, it was just because he, you know, the the, the very small handful of times that he got onto the second level. Um, but man, I mean, I I just I was really disappointed in their usage of him, um, and it was primary and primarily because of how little they used him in the receiving game. And we talked about, you know, uh, with on the show with Elliot Christ. Where hey we got a bunch of stuff right. One of the things that that I got wrong were the Todd Gurley overs. Um, the the Patriots were vulnerable. The Patriots have been vulnerable to receiving backs really for years. And um, you know you look at teams that attacked him. I mean you, that uh, attacked that weakness. Like Damian Williams almost had three receiving touchdowns in the AFC Championship game. You know he he was killing them on. On you know, on on just on just straight pass routes, didn't the Patriots' run defense kind of got it really stiffened up late in the season? Um, but they they were st- they remained vulnerable to running backs in the passing game, and I just I was shocked that that they didn't they barely even, I think he finished with one catch for minus one yard, and C.J. Anderson had two catches. You know the only guys that the the Rams were throwing the football to were wide receivers. Gerald Everett didn't even have a catch, you know. So 
I, I, look, I think everything about the Rams game plan was disappointing. And to me, that w- you know that was obviously the most disappointing um, regarding their usage of Todd Gurley. What does it mean for 2019? You know, we're going to have to play it by ear. Uh, if they do bring back C.J. Anderson, that's like immediately a huge red flag. You know, how do they not? I mean, unless he get unless somebody else wants to give him pretty good money. That's how the do thing. they not bring him back? That's the thing. Just because you know, it's like he like I mean, this is probably you know one of the his best chances to go hit free agency you know, in his career. And so I think this is his first time ever hitting unrestricted free agency, unless you count just like, you know, bouncing around from team to team during the season, which is a little bit different, but hitting the actual unrestricted free agent market, which, you know, I've, I've got that, the big list of free agents to me, especially at the skill position players, it is an awful, awful free agent class. I mean, it's Le'Veon Bell and then like nobody else. I mean, it's, you know, kind of like Golden Tate and, you know, who's like 30. I will say this, Evan. I, I will say that? this. I will say this. There's yeah. about 30 mid-round draft pick running backs that people like. Like, I can't okay. tell you how many underclassmen came out and how many running backs are second, third, fourth round guys. And mm-hmm. I just, I picture every, like almost every team taking one of those guys. Yeah, they should. I mean, that, that's I think that's the best way to approach the running back position as opposed to, you know, giving C.J. Anderson even like two years, 10 million. You know, it makes a lot more sense to just take one of those middle run, the, the you know, second to fourth round running backs. I, I totally agree. But I mean, I think he's going to want to go see what's out there and free agency happens before the draft. You know, so teams don't know what they're going to get in the draft. But, um, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I think. But that's going to be the first red flag. We're also going to be waiting. Hey, you know, we know that McVeigh has already come out and said, you know, I don't anticipate uh, Todd Gurley having any sort of surgery. But we also know that after players have, you know, that ACL like he did in college, a few years later, it's, you know, it's never a surprise when they have a scope. That'll be something to, to look out for. Will we hear more, you know, more positive rhetoric about him i mean you know i i think that i i agree with your theory that some of it may have had to do with confidence just sheer you know regular person confidence uh but what what could contribute to that lack of confidence would be you know uh the player operating at less than than full health i can give you multiple examples i can remember like when brian westbrook was with the eagles I remember broadcasters, guys telling me, like, you know, there were days where the coaches would have huge smiles on their face before games, Eagles, Eagles coaches, and they'd be like, why? Like, because B. West feels good today. He mm-hmm. feels good today. You know, like he got to the stage of his career where some Sundays he would wake up and feel good and others he didn't. And if he didn't, he really wouldn't have that great of a game. If he did, he'd have an awesome game. And, like, the coaches would literally be smiling before the game because B. West told him he felt good and they knew that he would have a huge day and that they would probably win because of it. Running back's rough, man. I mean, it's just that, – that, that's, a, that's a tough, tough go of it. I do want to get your thoughts, though, 
on Jared Goff, Evan, also, both in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl and what you think of him as a, as a fantasy guy going forward. I know people don't like, and I don't really love his – he just doesn't look like a leader. He just doesn't look like a fiery guy. He always has that same mm-hmm. look on his face. Uh, but he made he made some pretty big throws in both the NFC Championship game and even in the Super Bowl – you know, that he doesn't get enough credit for. He wasn't great. The Patriots fooled him. Uh, but I, I, I think the people that are putting it all on Jared Goff, I think they're wrong also. Yeah, I mean, he was a much better player when he had Cooper Cup. That's for sure. You know, that that's that's quantifiable. Down the stretch over their last eight games, he was under 7.5 yards per attempt, in, per attempt in six of the last eight. So... Um, and he, you know, he, it was just after the buy. You remember, gosh, remember? It, it feels like so long ago, and the, the the teams changed down the stretch. But that Chiefs Rams game was like the peak, and then the Rams just offense just was never the same. You know, especially from a passing game standpoint. Um, I mean, they had some great games down the stretch with C.J. Anderson specifically running the football in a dominant fashion. But their passing game just was never the same. And um, I think that, you know, part of it could have been Cooper Cup. I think that the way he plays when he's pressured, Jared Goff, I mean, he falls off a cliff. Every quarterback in the NFL plays worse when they're pressured, obviously. But Jared Goff falls off a cliff when he's pressured. And he's lucky to have the offensive line that he has. You know, so the question I think is going to become if they lose, if they start to lose pieces, like, look, John Sullivan is not getting any old, any younger. Andrew Whitworth is not getting any younger. You know, Austin Blythe hasn't been great for the Rams, period. And their uh, their left guard, Roger Saffold, is a free agent. So if we if we start to go from a, a stage where you know, the Rams are a top three pass protecting offensive line to where maybe they're mm, 17th which isn't that far off if hey you know we see Whitworth retire or you know Sullivan Sullivan a guy who's dealt with a bunch of injuries um if we start to see this offensive line come undone and we start to see Jared Goff under pressure a lot you know what's going to happen then so now he's entering his the fourth year of his rookie deal and uh I mean they have a really big decision to make I mean this is like Year four is going to be uh, the the make or break year for Jared Goff, I think, uh, as, as a Los Angeles Ram, and really maybe even as like a guy that um, you know is he is he like a, he's I don't think he's you know he's not to Matt Ryan, you know he's I don't think he's to Matt Ryan, and I think he's maybe a little bit above like Andy Dalton right now, and I think that you know if we if and this has happened with Andy Dalton. When he's got a lot of when when things are really going right around him, he can be as good as anyone. I mean, we've seen him. You know, when when AJ Green was out there, when Tyler Eifer was out there, when they had a good offensive line, when they had Whitworth, when they had Zeitler, you know, he, he would get like MVP discussion. And then when they start to, when the parts around him start to fade away, uh, you know, he looks like a liability out there. Maybe not even like a, an NFL quality starter you know maybe more like a high-end backup so you know what kind of territory is Jared Goff going to 
uh, develop into? Is he going to get to, to that, that Matt Ryan level, I think? Or is he going to regress down into that Andy Dalton level? Anything else, Evan, from the Super Bowl in particular that jumps out at you? I know Brandon Cooks ended up having a, a, a pretty big day. I, mm-hmm. I guess I was a little disappointed uh, that he wasn't able to haul in either one of those. I mean, it was tremendous plays by McCourty, Gilmore, Harmon, but mm-hmm. uh, the Rams really needed him to come up with at least one of them. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody else tweet this. I thought it was fantastic. You know, the Rams never threw the ball to their running backs or tight ends, which are some of their most favorable matchups, because the Patriots were rushing five, and so the Rams' answer to that was to try to keep in six blockers or seven, six-man protection, seven-man protection. And I think somebody said, not only are the Patriots, can't remember who tweeted this, might have been you, not only are the Patriots great at taking away what, what you do best or what your best matchup is, but they're great at actually having you take it away yourself. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. By rushing five the way they did, they had the Rams keep in the tight end and running back a lot. You think about, like, those guys made all kinds of plays against the Saints. Everybody for the Rams, you know, Higby and all, those guys made all kinds of plays against the Saints. They were all non-factors because McVay was so worried about protection and golf that he had those guys stay in rather than going and doing what they what they do best, which is getting the ball to Higby and Everett against, you know, safeties, getting the ball to the running backs in space against linebackers. Yeah, and I think it kind of all ties in together. You know, it, it ties in together. Like, Sean McVay is very aware that Jared Goff is not nearly as as productive when he is pressured. So he feels the need to, to do the, the max protections sort of things and, you know, maybe to add some limitations to his own offense. What, what's, what's brilliant about it from the Patriots' standpoint is that now you're throwing into the teeth of their defense, you know, because they have a really good secondary. That's one thing that you could hang your hat on pretty much all season about the Patriots defensively. Their pass rush wasn't great. I think they were. They had the second fewest sacks in the NFL. Of course, it came on as we discussed extensively when they needed to down the stretch. You know, um, their run defense also came on down the stretch, but it was bad for almost the entire season. You could hurt them with running backs in the passing game. Um, but the one thing that you could always hang your hat on that was consistent was that they had a really talented secondary, you know, Stefan Gilmore, um, you know, Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty was an awesome pickup. JC Jackson came on, you know, they had Jonathan Jones um, early in the season playing slot corner. JC Jackson came on that allowed Stefan Gilmore and Jason McCourty to play a little bit more slot corner. Jonathan Jones actually played every single snap in the Super Bowl. JC Jackson, they scaled back a little bit. Had some penalties in the AFC Championship game that might have contributed to it. Um, but then, you know, uh, Deron Harmon and uh, Pat Chung. I mean, that's one of the best secondaries in the NFL, you know, and they go deep. They, 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 they had depth in the secondary. Um, you know, even after they lost a guy like Eric Rowe, I mean, they still had a lot of depth in the secondary 
And when you when you're taking away their the, your opponent's ability to throw to running backs and tight ends, or you're forcing them to, you know, to do things so that they can't do that as much, you're forcing them to throw into the teeth of your defense at your best players. And you know, although Brandon Cooks had a, a pretty pretty productive game in the box score, you're right, he was unable to secure some some you know potentially game changing plays because. Uh, the the Patriots defensive backs made sensational plays. I mean, they had some just just awesome pass breakups in the game, and um, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think you know that at the end of the day, man, the Patriots just severely outcoached the Rams. Really looking forward to next week. We will bring on a guest. We'll also recap. 2018 the season that was in fantasy football but this was fun just to break down one game with you and try to extrapolate what it means moving forward really enjoyed it Evan you're the man that was terrific that was exactly what I was hoping to get out of today's show terrific work by you as always and looking forward to diving into the college prospects a little bit We'll do some early dynasty stuff, some early keeper league stuff. You guys know how much we love the best ball tournaments. There's a lot to get into, a lot. And you guys can get into any of this betting if you want over at betonline.ag. If you use the promo code PODCAST1, you get a 50% sign-up bonus. So maybe it's the NBA. And you want to do something about the Warriors or the Lakers after they make a move at the trade deadline. Maybe it's college hoops. You know, Tennessee, number one. Never thought I'd see that happen. NHL, you know, the playoffs will be here before you know it in the NHL. So betonline.ag, use the promo code PODCAST1. I want to make sure if you're betting somewhere, you get some free money to do it. Betonline.ag, promo code podcast one that'll do it by the way for a pretty fulfilling fantasy feast podcast terrific work evan as always love it love you guys for listening especially you guys that are diehards that listen all year round you're the superstars you're the rock stars and you know what separates the winners from the losers I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.